This is Bucks First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. The purge is underway, as you know. In fact, it's gaining it's gaining steam. And, and they'll tell you that it is for the worst elements of our society. They'll tell you that it's about getting rid of white supremacists, domestic terrorists, uh, awful, violent people, insurrectionists. But when you listen to the actual language they use, it's much broader than that. It's really an attempt to try to smear anyone who is right of center if they voted for Trump, if they were a part of any of the pro-Trump rallies, particularly after the election, they, they must be evil. And our institutions have to be cleansed of this. And cleansing is obviously a term that should put everyone's the hair on their arms standing up. That's, that's not something that we should be thinking of when we're talking about government bodies, and especially when you're looking at the military. Uh, but this is now the plain language of the Democrat Party today. You've got Joe Biden, for example, who's out there talking about white supremacy as an enemy that we must combat. And I would just say, as we look at this, we need to remember that this is a, a group of people. When you're talking about actual white supremacists, it's a group of people who are marginalized and maligned all throughout society, including on the right, and rightly so. But how often do we go around really worried about flat earthers overtaking the scientific community. I mean, how often do we go around thinking that some fringe group of lunatics are really about to overthrow the United States government or some radical, violent extremist entity from within is just days away from trying to launch some kind of a coup? There's a hysteria around this. We should all recognize that we should see it for what it is. And it's very concerning to me because I've been sounding the alarm about the expansion of the term white supremacy to include things that no reasonable, rational person would ever say are, in fact, white supremacist. When you use that term in the past and, and you can go back to to movies uh, in the 90s, go back to to pop culture and the way we would talk about these things. A, if you heard of a neo-Nazi or a white supremacist, it was going to be a person who was hateful toward other races, who was vicious, evil, covered in swastikas, usually shaved head. Uh, you know, there, there were all these things, you know, skinheads. There were all these signifiers. And it was like, like a jihadist. It was a person who had become overtaken by an evil ideology. And it was they're, they're heinous. I mean, they're the bad guys. We all get that. The same way that any Nazi would be a bad guy, the same way that any communist is a bad guy or jihadist. Right. These are extreme ideologies that always result in uh, in violence, authoritarianism and destruction if they achieve power. And even if they're out of power, they can be destructive on a smaller scale. So we all understood that that white supremacy was bad. We all get that uh, you know, the same way that we all know murder is bad. This is a very straightforward thing. But now when you hear the terminology and when you hear the usage of this, uh, all of a sudden white supremacy is having too many books by white authors in a store. White supremacy. And this is how the left talks about it. I know you hear this. You say that's crazy. White supremacy is somebody advocating against 
affirmative action in college admissions and pointing to how it discriminates against Asian Americans more than anyone else in the process. White supremacy. Why should we shut down gifted and talented schools or or schools for the gifted more generally uh, that overprivilege the Asian American community? Well, it's because of the system of white supremacy we have. This is what people will say. And now we have an entire government that that is latching on to this as as the the boogeyman, so to speak. This is the evil that we are all supposed to be hiding under our beds from. Or worried is hiding under our bed, if you think about the way the the boogeyman is usually thought of. Uh, This is what we're supposed to be confronting as a society. We're in the middle of a of a pandemic, a double pandemic of a disease and draconian authoritarian lockdowns from the disease that do not work. If Governor Ron DeSantis says it, I can say it. Censor that. Social media platforms. I'm on radio. What now? Governor Ron DeSantis is right. I'm right. They did not work. These lockdowns were a failure. But let me get back to white supremacy here for a moment. I want to read you. This is in the Military Times, right, which, you know, obviously focuses on defense issues and United States Armed Services. And it's about uh, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. I actually remember I was in Baghdad years ago and I, I was part of a briefing. He wouldn't remember me. I was interchangeable with all the other guys walking around dressed like they were on a camping trip. What are you guys doing here? Oh, you're those guys, right? I was one of those in the war zone. Um, but, you know, we, 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 I sat down, I briefed him. I remember thinking that this guy had the kind of command presence among a lot of other senior folks that he, he probably had a future in politics. Uh, but I, I, so I remember General Austin and uh, now Military Times writing, he's now the Secretary of Defense, as you know, And he's called on, quote, services to conduct a 60 day stand down on the issue of extremism in the military prompted by the January 6th attack on the Capitol and subsequent reports of active duty and former service members attending a rally calling to overturn the 2020 election and the riot that ensued. Hold on a second. Look look, look what they this is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. We got to do a, a whole stand down. We got to do a, a, a hot wash. We got to do a after action report. We have to do a review of white nationalist or white supremacist extremism in the military. And then they, when they go to describe what we're talking about here, it's people who attended a rally to overturn the 2020 election. I know people who were at the rally in D.C. on January 6th, and they were there because they believed that there was a need for election results, for for the argument over election results to be had in the United States Congress for the presentation of evidence. And and they thought that that was within the system and the right thing to do. They really believe that there had been a stolen election. I know many people still believe that there was a stolen election. That doesn't make them white supremacists. There's nothing to do with it. The same way that the Capitol Hill riot wasn't a white supremacist riot. But you see how now they take this action and some of the individuals involved and everybody who's even even vaguely ideologically associated with them, including thousands and thousands of people. They, they estimate 800 people stormed Capitol Hill. There were at least 100,000 people in D.C. on that day. So it's about one percent, maybe. And I know some people say it's, it was much larger than that. 
So about 1% of the people gathered actually broke the law and, and did something wrong. Everybody else, what they did, you can disagree with how they view the election, but they are completely within their rights, and I, and I support their right to lawfully protest and have their voices heard in our nation's capital. This, this is very straightforward. This is about principle. But look what they did. They're, they're calling here for former service members, quote, attending a rally calling to overturn the 2020 election. Attendance at the rally is cause for suspicion. That's all you have to do. If you went, if you engaged in lawful protest, you now, if you're a former military, if you're current military, for sure, you are now somebody that maybe can't be trusted. You're an insurrectionist. This is what they say. This is what we're told. And the guidance from Austin is as follows. Quote, it wasn't, a bl- it wasn't just a blithe, uh, go talk to your people of Austin's direction to the service secretaries and joint chiefs. He was very clear he wants commands to take the necessary time to speak with troops about the scope of this problem and get a sense from them about what they're seeing at their level. Do you think that some... Uh, some kind of you know wimpy left wing bureaucrat type, which they exist everywhere. There, there are those people even in the military. Uh, do you do you think that they're going to see somebody with a a MAGA flag over their bunk? You know, do you think that they're going to see somebody who still you know thinks that the Gadsden flag is a cool design from history, and they want to, and maybe they get reported? Just give it time. Just give it time. Um, this is this is really upsetting to see because you can understand why why this is going to get worse why are they doing this white supremacy in the military uh this, this is all, all of a sudden we've discovered this problem because of the january 6th riot that's what they're saying this is political i've never met a white supremacist i mean i i point this out to people i have met jihadist terrorists i, I have met you know, people of other extremist ideologies. And I'm not saying there aren't white supremacists. This, you, always have to, you always have to establish these things that every sane person knows. Of course, there are white supremacists. There are evil racists. Are they powerful in this country? They're the most, and rightly so, maligned people in, in all of American society. I mean, you, you won't be able to get a job, to rent or buy a home, to, to be on the Internet. I mean, you know, you're, you're a target for everybody. You're a white supremacist, an actual white supremacist in the real sense of the term. But that's not what this is about. We've already got that problem is contained and controlled. They're they're losers. They're trying to expand the concept of white supremacy to include people who attend. And by I'm reading you from this article, attended the uh, the rally on January 6th. Didn't break any laws, didn't go into the Capitol. But if you attended the rally, rally, you're a suspect. You know, this is what authoritarian regimes do. They, they have to cleanse wrong thing from within major institutions like the uh, like the military and like the federal bureaucracy. Military Times own polling quote has shown that anecdotally. Oh, that sounds really official. More than one third of active duty troops and more than half of minority service members have witnessed signs of white supremacy in their colleagues. Further, survey respondents ranked white nationalism as a bigger national security domestic terror uh, as a bigger national security threat domestic than domestic terrorist groups affiliated with Islam, for instance. Um, 
The events of January 6th served as a wake-up call. Uh, it, it's, it's amazing to see this. I mean, you're telling me that... L- let's be very clear. Because of this ideology of, of wokeness, actually, that's out there, that sees whites... Wokeness means white supremacy is all around us and it's everywhere. And we have to constantly combat it. They've created this omnipresent white supremacy. Uh, as a result of that, you have service members here saying they've, quote, witnessed signs of white supremacy. Uh, half of minority service members say they've seen that. Really? Like what? Where? What counts as that? And, and I really mean that. I'd like to know. Is it who gets promoted and who doesn't? Is, is, that, is that the kind of white supremacy we're talking about? Because remember how the definitions expanded? Or is it somebody who actually, you know, is a member of some kind of white power society and has a, a swastika tattoo on his knuckles? Which one is it? Because there's a whole lot of difference between those two things. But you see, this is a power, this is a power move and the chilling effect on conservatism on the right in general from pretending there's this huge threat of white supremacy that's everywhere. It's even in our military. Uh, this is a hysterical lie, but it's a very, a very potent one if you want to keep people fearful and if you want to make sure that you can get away with whatever mechanisms of control you decide to deploy this is happening within our own military and it's happening from the top down from the secretary of defense this is the buck sexton show podcast follow buck on facebook instagram and twitter you know i've attended many of these prayer breakfasts over the years with a nation at war and struggle and strife a nation of peace and in prosperity a nation though always in prayer but we know this time is different over 400,000 of our fellow americans have lost their lives to a deadly virus millions are out of work we see long lines for food at food banks that stretch for miles we hear the call for racial justice some 400 years in the making And we know the dream and more importantly, the reality of justice for all cannot be deferred any longer. We see the existential threat of climate crisis that poses to our planet and everywhere we turn with more severe floods, stronger hurricanes, more intense wildfires. We just have to open our eyes. We've just witnessed images that we've never imagined, images that now we'll never forget, a violent assault in the U.S. Capitol on our assault on our democracy, on our capital, a violent attack that threatens lives and took lives. We know now we must confront and defeat political extremism, white supremacy and domestic terrorism. White supremacy and domestic terrorism. This is Joe Biden at a prayer breakfast. This is the urgent national security threat, defeating white supremacy and domestic terrorism. Um, Okay, what does that look like? Where, Where is this threat? Just show me, where, where are all these white supremacists? I, I, I ask the question, I never get an answer. Where are they? What, there's some, some compound of brainless, toothless losers somewhere who are uh, you know, thinking that they're, they're some kind of you know, neo-Nazi cult that's going to take over America? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're disgusting and everyone hates them and they're ostracized from society. Well, where are the white supremacists that have infiltrated all the institutions and that are speaking openly about this and that are pushing... Where? Uh, Well, it depends, of course, on how you define the term. And increasingly what you see is that it's defined so broadly that it can mean 
whatever, whatever racial justice issue the left wants to wants to really put a lot of a lot of focus on. All of a sudden they start using uh, the W.S. term. They start throwing it around They start saying, oh, this is we need to dismantle systems of white supremacy. Like what? Where where is this? What does it even really mean? Think about the term. I mean, it's a very remember. Remember what they did with racism. Racism is bad. We all know that racism is immoral. And this is just a this is a universal truth. Racism is immoral. They started calling everything racism back in the 90s. Remember this? And there were there were actually because we had comedians and who could make jokes. They would make jokes about how everything was racist. Right. There was a, in the movie PCU, which is still a great watch if you want to go back and check it out. But there's a there's a group of of um, I guess you'd call it woke, you know, woke campus uh, activists. And one of the one of the fellows is African-American. He's walking around and he's you know, his question is, why is the chalk white and why is the blackboard black? Right. I mean, this is racism. And that that's one of the you know, and, and, and he goes, right, you see it in the movie. I mean, we used to kind of be aware that people would call things racist. You go, that's actually not racist. It has nothing to do with racism. And over time, that accusation, they used it so much for purposes of power, right? The left, the Democrats used this against any of their perceived political enemies that it started to lose its sting. It started to lose its ability to put people in fear. It became just a kind of an absurdity. The accusation without any underlying truth was just it was a smear, an obvious, pathetic smear. So what they do now, they've up now they've gone to white supremacy. Oh, let's see. That's even it's even scarier. That conjures up. You know, neo-Nazis doing violence to people based on skin color. We have to fight them right away, and we should. But that's not what they're referring to. They're, they're not re- referring to the character, you know, in American History X. They're referring to college admissions that don't have uh, a, a, a woke enough philosophy of, of who gets to go to the school. Well, that seems like quite an important change in terminology, isn't it? You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, this is a deliberate war against everybody whose views would be considered traditionally American. And consider, they have on the Intelligence Committee somebody who the FBI has told them had a multi-year relationship with the Chinese communist spy. Now, that's not really a problem because, after all, communist China is not really a bad country. Uh, You go down the stuff and you begin to realize these people operate in a different universe. What happened, I think, was that Trump scared them. For the first time, they saw all of their dreams, all of their hopes disappearing, and their reaction has been one of, of ferocity, uh, which I find frightening. I mean, I, I worry for anybody who's openly, publicly in favor of traditional America because you just don't know what the left is going to do. They're going to attack you. They're going to make you suffer. They're going to try to ruin you, try to destroy you. I mean, Newt Gingrich sees it. It is, it is now uh, clear that there are obvious truths that you you speak at your peril whole range of issues and the left doesn't even really bother to make arguments anymore their arguments in the past were weak but they figured if they yelled them enough and if they controlled enough institutions they'd be able to get what they want even if logic facts reason and everything else wasn't on their side like that's that's the way that the, the game used to be played now they're just saying, do this because we say so. They're not even really telling you why you should do the thing. 
And and I think that the, the left has found in the covid lockdown specifically the, the perfect vessel for their dream of total societal control. They also have this with with climate change, but climate change, as much as they try to force the urgency of the climate crisis and it's existential, as much as they try to convince everybody of that. Well, adjusted, normal people are like, even if they believe in climate change, they go, I mean, come on, it's not the world's not going to end tomorrow. Let's like catch our breath here. It's not going to end in five years, It's not going to end in 50. And if it ends in 500 years, how much do I really care? I mean, that's that's kind of where a lot of people are on this one. How do I even know who will even know what, what 500 years from now is going to be like? But with covid, because we have had a lot of people, a lot of older people who have died from from this uh, respiratory virus, they were able to get the the crisis and the panic and the anxiety at a level where they could begin to remake society. I mean, they could tell you how you can breathe. That's now all a part of this, too. And, and I've, I've been walking you through because I know what they're going to do. You know, they, they have to cover up now. We, we saw something. We said, hold on a second. Fauci says two masks are better than one. And then Osterholm says, actually, two masks are worse than one. And then Fauci says there's no data to support wearing two masks. And then people say, well, hold on a second. If the if two masks isn't better than one, why? That makes me think that maybe we got to look at this more. And can we even have a discussion about this? So then Fauci has to change it, change it up again to say, well, the CDC may soon tell people two masks are better than one. We got to get the data. And let me tell you, they're going to come up with some bullcrap anecdotal study about you know, someone says that they were doing two and someone else said one. It's, it's not going to be an actual scientific study at all. And then all of a sudden, it'll make its way onto the CDC website. And then the CDC, we all have to listen to. Has the CDC saved a lot of us? Can I just ask? Think about that for a second. Has the CDC saved a lot of lives in the COVID pandemic? I mean, this is their, this is their D-Day invasion, right? This, this COVID pandemic is the CDC's moment to show us what they're, why they're funded, what they're really made of. You know what they've done? They messed up testing in the earliest days when it was absolutely essential to figure out what we were really dealing with. They completely botched testing. They've changed the guidance many, many times. And ultimately, what they've told us is, you know, you should probably block down and just avoid life while this virus is out there as much as, you know, you can stomach and uh, or as much as other people will make you stomach and wash your hands and wear a mask. Thanks, CDC. Wow. Amazing stuff from them. And here, here's Fauci, though, as I've been telling you, setting the groundwork. You're going to you're going to start to see businesses that say one mask required, two masks preferred. It's going to happen. Play four. In the meantime, as I often get asked, should you be wearing two masks or one mask? And I say there's no recommendation. However, there are many people who take the common sense approach. If you're talking about a physical barrier, and as the CDC recommends, you want at least two layers within the mask as a physical barrier, and you feel maybe more of a physical barrier would be better, there's nothing wrong with people wearing two masks. I often myself wear two masks. Can we make a general recommendation that doesn't have scientific basis yet? No. But when the science comes along and tells us that it is better or not, then you will see a recommendation being made by the CDC. 
they're going to manufacture something and they're going to say that the science is settled and now we know that two masks are better than one. And isn't that amazing? Because how have they not known that all along? The mask science is so clear. We're, we're figuring this out just now. No. Why are we going to the two masking? Why? Why did I know that they would say this? Go back. You know this. Listen to the show. How did I know that they were going to tell us two masks and N95 masks are really what we need to be doing? Because the policy of mandating people wearing masks in certain situations didn't stop the damn virus. It didn't. And I know people say, oh, but what about, you know, when you breathe through it, everything will go, OK, well, people can't wear it all the time. And so there's a lot of spread that's going on all the time anyway. And if you get the virus on Wednesday, but didn't get it on Tuesday and that plays out across the whole country, what difference does it really make? But, you know, they people can people are incapable of actually thinking this through for themselves. And going back to my initial premise here about about traditional values, being able to speak about these, it, it is essential that we actually have a public debate about masks. I, I would I would love give me any blue check MD, PhD. Oh, I'm Dr. So and so. And I go on the I go on MSNBC and I know love to have a debate. And I'm just some guy, just some guy who sits around, does a radio show, writes some stuff, you know, used to work for the government, used to be a little government stooge. And uh, yeah, I, I would love to have the debate with them because I could just use reason and logic and annihilate the stupid crap that they say. Like it's all it's all so obvious that we should all be wearing masks. It was so obvious that the person who's now the biggest mask advocate 12 months ago was saying, come on, it doesn't really do anything. That's what Fauci was saying. We all know it. Now, what exactly is different? They'll say, oh, we didn't know about this. No, 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 no. That's all just blah, 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 blah. That's all nonsense. But they won't deal with the reality here, which is that you had a panic and you had people in, po- in positions of power and you had government authorities that people were looking to to save them. And they had to tell you something and they had to tell you something that even if it didn't stop it, then the answer would be, well, you didn't do enough of the thing I told you. It's your fault. That's where we are. And uh, so I I believe that dissent on a matter of uh, on a matter of national importance, health policy like this, that is a traditional American value. We should be able to have this conversation. We can't. We can't. Shouldn't shouldn't I be scared? Shouldn't I be uh, concerned about the prospect of being exposed on this issue yeah have one of those blue check doctors you know have a debate go on tv live and it'd be me it could be alex berenson be any number of people that look at this issue critically and and explain to me how the science tells you that it's essential that you have that mask pulled up all the time on an airplane with 150 people on it sitting side by side, which is what we do now. Remember how we're going to have a separation? That all fell apart. Now we just airlines need to make money. So you sit side by side and then people sit there. And I'd say for a, at least half the flight are breathing in open air with their mask down because they're drinking, they're eating, they're doing other things. You know, people have the mask fall down below their nose. The nose is actually a major area for the spread of the, uh, for the uh, expulsion of the virus. So, yeah, explain the science to me of how that's Oh, but it limits it. It limits it. I mean, how much? How much? If, you know, if, if you're on a plane for four hours and everyone's breathing, you know, breathing the air, you know, and open, how, how much better is it with the mask on for 30 percent than with the rest? I mean, when you get infected, you're infected. It doesn't matter how much exposure you had. It doesn't matter, you know, how long the exposure was. You're infected. You're infected. 
They don't really think about it. We can't even have a normal conversation about that. We can't have a normal conversation with the left about um, males playing female sports. The ACLU put out a statement yesterday that said uh, there's no advantage of men over women in sports. No advantage. And and this is shown because there are women who can still compete against some of the men. Uh, How many videos do we have to see of some like six foot four guy who weighs 230 pounds, who's playing women's field hockey and is all of a sudden the national champion and like the best in the world before we go, no, I think I think there's an advantage. I think there's an advantage. Every guy listening to this knows if you if you were a a mediocre high school male athlete, uh, you know, a mediocre one, which is how I, at, at best, I think how I describe my own athletic exploits, uh, you would have been a probably a two or three sport All-American at uh, in NCAA women's sports. This is the truth. I mean, if you want, to, want an example of this, you, I mean, you have to have a certain level of proficiency, but the like men's 14-year-old national soccer team beats the best female professional soccer teams in the world. They're 14 and beating the best women in the world. I mean, this is, there's no debate about this. Ah, but you see that statement's even more true than I meant it to be. They don't allow you to have the debate about this because the facts are not in debate. It's really a question of power, and they have the power to silence you and make you believe things and say things that are not true. You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. The job of a leader is to take on that, to take on the grief in order to save people's jobs, to get kids back in school, and really to ultimately save a lot of lives. Because I think, one, the virus response is more effective when it's targeted at the vulnerable population, which we did do aggressively. But I also think we've saved the livelihoods of so many people. I think you'll have less suicide deaths, less drug abuse deaths, less deaths of despair in Florida because we were open. And I think a lot of the lockdown Downers lost sight of that. We are less than the national average for per capita COVID mortality. 25 states are higher than us. And yet, as you said, our unemployment rate is much less than the national average. We have kids in school. And in December, we had $330 million more in revenue than was projected because people are coming here and they understand that Florida is open in a place where they can pursue their dreams. Ron DeSantis, the only political hero of the entire uh, COVID pandemic, really. The, the only person who has been getting it done despite all the critics, despite all the pressure. And I, I know I talk about him a lot now. It's like It sounds like I'm a member of the Ron DeSantis, the, maybe the captain of the Ron DeSantis fan club these days. But look, I, I, don't, I don't know Ron. I never met him, never talked to him. It's not about anything other than results. And you look at the results of his state, Maybe we could have had many other places with much better results if we were allowed to have the conversation. But to my earlier point, we're not even we're, we're not even uh, given the freedom to make our case anymore. I mean, what social media companies have done about lockdowns and mask wearing is disgusting. They're a bunch of little petty moron totalitarians. And remember, it's not the people who, you know, the people that are all about this. They're not the ones that are. You know, that, that, that founded the company. Usually they're not the ones that are coming up with really complicated algorithms. You know, they're outsourcing a lot of that stuff to other people or people on H1B visas. The little the little totalitarians that work in these social media companies, 
You know, they're there. They are working in like the government relations office. They're working in the in PR and marketing and sales and, you know, the, the soft sciences parts of these companies. They're the ones that are, yeah, you know, it's the it's the English lit majors who work at Facebook and and Google uh, doing whatever they do there. They're the ones that want you to be shut up. They're the ones that want you to be unable to actually have a conversation. So remember that and, and that there are real. There are real downsides to this. I mean, you know, today you had the, the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, who w- was basically pleading with the teachers unions like y- you you're being unreasonable. This is not right. You're making kids suffer. You're supposed to go back to school now. Think of all the people in Chicago who are going and doing their jobs. They're exposed to covid. They they have you know, family members who are who are older and at risk or maybe they themselves are older and at risk. But, you know, they're still living life. There's no risk free society and a society that promises you that it's risk free is a nightmare. It is by definition totalitarian. It erases all freedom. If it's going to make you truly free, it will make all of your choices for you. And there are a lot of people and I think it's just deep in their brains. That's what they want. That's what they prefer. They would rather be told what to do all the time. They'd rather be told uh, how they can live their lives. By the way, I mentioned before the debates over uh, men and women's sports. Um, Here's Rand Paul talking to the Education Secretary nominee, Dr. Miguel Cardona, about boys playing girls sports in high school. Play 16. So you don't have a problem then with boys running in the girls' track meet, swimming meets, name it. You're okay then with boys competing with girls? Respectfully, Senator, I think I answered the question. I believe schools should offer the opportunity for students to engage in extracurricular activities, even if they're transgender. I think that's their right. All right. Well, a lot of us think that that's bizarre, you know, not very fair. Yeah, it isn't fair. It isn't. But now it's now the left has gone beyond philosophical fallacy and and they want you to to not accept what is true in the actual physical world this isn't that they just have bad ideas that are illogical and self-contradictory although that's certainly very true of the left as well now it's that guy who is six is six three and you know 250 pounds he's not necessarily going to be stronger than all all the all the females of his same of his same age then no that there might you know, there's no real advantage there. Well, then why, why break up male and female sports in general? What's the point? Does anyone on the left want to try to answer that? Why do we have a men's and women's te- men's and women's teams? What's the point of it? Because, you know, it's fine. There's no biological advantage. We all know this is a lie, but they insist that you accept their lie. Why? It's about a lot more than just transgender rights or transgender sports or anything like that. It's about Bend the knee or else. Bend the knee on something that you know is a total fallacy. Once you've done it this time, they can get you to do it other times. This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. She stays in leadership. Liz Cheney has beaten back a challenge to her role in the United States Congress on the GOP side of it. Pretty big win for her in terms of the votes. What really happened here and what is it telling us about the trajectory of 
the GOP right now. Our friend Matt Schlapp is back in the mix. He is the chairman of the American Conservative Union. Mr. Schlapp, good to have you. Great to be with you again, Buck. So what, what do you make of this? First of all, just for everyone listening, how did we get here where all, where, where all of a sudden, you know, Republicans are still trying to figure out what just happened with this election, and now we've got Biden's inauguration, and now we're going after Liz Cheney. What, what did she do? Tell everybody what, what the, in the eyes of some within her own party, her sins were. Well, she voted to impeach uh, President Trump, even though obviously uh, he's not the president anymore. And almost everybody's reading of the Constitution is, is that this is an abuse of the Constitution. I think she was one of 10 Republicans in the House to support this, the most politicized impeachment we've ever seen. And almost every impeachment is pretty politicized. So uh, there's a lot of anger towards these Republicans who played into the politics of Nancy Pelosi. And that's really what this was. This really wasn't a question about, do you like Trump? Do you not like Trump? Do you like Trump's policies? Do you not like Trump's policies? Do you like what happened on January 6th? Does what happened on January 6th make you uh, offended, as I'm sure it does you and me? You and I talked about it on your show right around that time. It was a terrible thing. But is it really fair to blame Trump uh, for what happened at the Capitol? Is it really fair to blame uh, his supporters what happened at the Capitol, which is now what Joe Biden and the new Secretary of Defense seem to be saying with their language, is somehow uh, our number one danger as a country is white supremacy and violence on the right. Of course, they say nothing about the violence on the left with Black Lives Matter and Antifa and the fact that for a year our cities were burned to the ground and churches were burned and statues were torn down and statues of Jesus were desecrated and cemeteries were desecrated. They don't mention any of that. We have more violence in this country, Buck, because people feel like they don't have hope within the system. So people who are into the system, especially the establishment, they should do all they can to make the Americans on both the left and the right feel like their voice is heard. Instead, what the establishment is doing is the opposite. They're censoring us. They're shutting us down. They're canceling us. That will not have a good result in our politics, clearly the people who rushed the Capitol were criminals, but they also felt desperation. We need to pull back from people feeling desperation. That's why our founders gave us things like the First Amendment, where politically you're allowed to express yourself. And that is not being allowed to happen, uh, unfortunately, right now in America. Were you surprised by the results? I mean, 145 for Liz Cheney to stay in her leadership job versus only 61 in the House. There was a lot of... No, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. And I think this is being misreported. You know, I'm, I was a, a Hill staffer for five years. A lot of people in this town have congressional experience, but uh, it was going to take an overwhelming vote um, to uh, push uh, uh, Liz Cheney out of leadership. This wasn't so much about taking her out of leadership as it was sending a message that when you're in leadership, there are just certain things you do uh, for the cause. And if you're such an independent thinker that you can't do the right thing for the party, then you should never get in leadership because part of being in leadership is sometimes you got to take votes uh, that you disagree with because you're in a leadership position. Just like all leadership positions we have in organizations um, across the country, there's there's a cost to being a leader. And she was unwilling to pay that cost because of her animosity for President Trump. And so what's happened in the past when Republican leaders got into this much trouble, they just stepped down. Remember Newt Gingrich stepped down from being speaker when he got himself really all kind of turned around on some ethics questions. Um, And she was unwilling to do that. So I admire her moxie for sticking in there, but I don't think it changed the political, changes the political dynamic, which is she's got a big problem 
within the Republican conference because they don't view her as understanding that we shouldn't play into the politics of Pelosi and Schumer, even when we're going to get a bad editorial in the New York Times, even when we have animosity or differences with a Republican who might be the target. So Marjorie Taylor Greene, she's the tar- she's the latest target of the Democrats. It really doesn't have to do with them being offended over her, which I would say very offensive social media postings from previous, you know, from before she was elected to serve in Congress. By the way, the voters in Georgia put her in Congress and the voters get to decide these questions, not Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats. But you know, she's just the latest victim uh, of what the of this cancel culture. They want to cancel her before she's ever even really been allowed to show what her true feelings are as a congresswoman, how she wants to vote. If they if they can attack her and persecute her, it, it'll just name the next Republican they're going to go after. Basically, what they're trying to do is make being a Republican illegal. And Republicans who play along with that should just go away because they don't know what's going on in the country. Uh, we're speaking to Matt. Uh, I'm sorry. We're speaking to Matt Schlapp. He's the uh, chairman of the American Conservative Union. And Matt Gates was leading the effort to get rid of of Liz Cheney. Uh, do you think that they're going to let bygones be bygones now, Matt? Or is there still this struggle that we should expect to play out within GOP congressional ranks for who who's really the future of the GOP in terms of uh, policy, but also in terms of leadership? Well, we have Joe Biden saying we need to unify the country while he's pursuing it. His party is pursuing impeachment, saying that we have to go after all these white nationalists, which sounds strangely like. He just wants to go after conservatives and MAGA people. It really doesn't have much to do with race at all. And now you have these strange calls for unity within the Republican ranks. Uh, to me, I'm not very interested in unity. Uh, I'm interested in having a civil debate on what we should agree with and what we shouldn't agree with. I, I don't want just like a vanilla Republican party that has no disagreements. I'm plenty fine with lots of Republican disagreements. I just want to make sure that they remember that the political enemy are the socialists, and this is the the socialism that the Democrats have have grabbed up, have you know embraced. So this question about uh, Liz Cheney and her future, I think, is a very open question. And if she believes that the right thing to do is kind of divorce MAGA from this coalition, as I call it, it's not so much a Republican Party as it is a coalition. The conservatives are the most important part of that coalition. If she thinks it's important to divorce MAGA from that coalition, I will fight her on that politically. I like and respect her. We've been friends a long time. I disagree with her impeachment vote. I disagree with this idea that somehow Trump has been a cancer on the Republican Party. I think he's added millions of new voters. Um, I've obviously been a strong supporter of his. I will continue to be for him and for his policies. And I think we ought to have that debate. And so it becomes a little public at times. That's okay. We're big boys and girls. And we're going to have it at CPAC anyway. So buckle up. So tell me this. Let's look at the other side for a second. Um, Jack Posobiec over at One America News got this one going. He pointed out that AOC, who's really made a, a, a spectacle of herself recently, Alexandria Ocasio, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, uh, she, she was claiming that Ted Cruz almost had her killed. I mean, I saw that tweet as if, you know, Ted Cruz was ordering a hitman to find her. Uh, she's been doing, uh, you know, teary-eyed uh, videos from home yeah. about how she was terrified she was going to die. And now Jack uh, looked at a, a and you know, Capitol Hill very well. She looked at a map and she was what is it about an eight, eight to ten minute walk from the actual Capitol uh, when when all this happened? What do you make of this? 
Well, they're trying to make it sound like it was almost an attack on the uh, on the Nat Stadium, uh, which is not too far away from the Cannon House office building. Look, what happened at the Capitol is terrible, can't be excused, and I can understand why it was shocking to members of Congress, but this is where the language is purposely politicized. Donald Trump didn't call for any violence that day. He called for the opposite. Anybody who accuses the president of calling for violence should show the words in the speech that he uttered that called for violence. Of course, the opposite is in the speech. And if you're going to accuse Ted Cruz of trying to murder you, show the words that Ted Cruz uttered to call for that violence. Of course, those words don't exist. I often wonder with these socialists, do they think that like Buck, you and I communicate both with our mouths and we have like some secret like, uh, you know, telepathy that we're speaking, you know, encouraging people. They love to call it a dog whistle, something people can't hear. But like if you have if you have the right kind of hearing, you can hear it. Uh, somehow Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz and Donald Trump were speaking telepathically to their supporters to do bad things. This Manchurian candidate kind of nonsense. Um, it just has to stop. It should be called out. When we used to have free and fair journalism in this country, they would have told a politician that you can't make charges uh, that you can't substantiate with actual words. So, uh, and I think it's great what Jack has done on this reporting because it doesn't excuse the violence and the crimes that occurred at the Capitol, but it does indict those who are trying to use that, uh, those crimes in a way to seem like the Republican Party or Trump supporters or conservatives were trying to harm them physically. Of course, the opposite is true. My argument would be no matter whenever you have a big rally somewhere, my guess is you can find 15 to 30 lugheads in all those rallies. The difference between MAGA rallies and what we saw with a TFM Black Lives Matter, and I went into some of those crowds with Black Lives Matter, that was overcome with people who meant to do violence, who meant to desecrate, who meant to do physical harm to all these important monuments and buildings. That was the whole reason to have those uh, riots uh, where, by the way, not one cop died. And I really mourn the death of this Capitol Hill cop. I consider him a hero. I think with the, the, the memorial they had for him on Capitol Hill was totally appropriate. I only wish we could have had an equal memorial for all the other cops who have lost, lost their life over the course of the last 18 months with this left-wing violence. You know, just because you die trying to save Nancy Pelosi's life doesn't make that death more of a tragedy than if you tried to uh, bring order around the White House or in CHOP or in Portland or in Chicago or in New York City. Um, the deaths of these law enforcement officers is really a, a stain on our history. And we ought to uh, have more public uh, memorials and accommodations for those law enforcement officials who have been killed by this left-wing violence. All the violence is terrible, it's criminal, and we ought to take the lessons from why it's occurring and I definitely think that there, I can tell you about conservatives, they feel a little desperate when their votes are taken away from them and when their votes are taken away from them. Excuse me, when they're, uh, and when their voice is taken away from them, when literally they can't speak on social media as they have come to expect to be able to speak. Speaking of Matt Schlapp, chairman of the American Conservative Union and CPAC, Matt, uh, which you are uh, the man at CPAC, uh, that's going to be happening in just a few weeks. I'm coming down there to see you and all the rest of the fine folks, the conservative movement. What give us the 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 message? And I'm hoping some people listening to this will be able to to join us down in Orlando. It's going to be nice weather, a lot of conservatives going to be a good time. Uh, but what is going to be the the overriding message when you're right now gathering together a lot of conservatives, both people who are just 
supportive of the movement and people who are at the forefront, people that have platforms and that are trying to spread the message. Uh, a lot of folks out there are feeling a little dejected right now, given what's going on in this election. Yeah. And, and also the first moves of the Biden presidency are not the least bit confidence inspiring for anybody who lives in reality, I think. Uh, what is the message going to be then from CPAC? Well, our theme is America uncanceled. They tried to cancel our votes, our values, and now our voices. And so we will spend a lot of time talking about what happened around the election and the reforms that are needed. To, it's a very simple prospect that you should be a legal voter to be able to vote in a democracy. Very basic principle. We violated that. We sullied it. And that's got to stop. Uh, the second thing is this idea of how uh, our political voices are being silenced left and right, both within the corporate culture of most of our publicly traded corporations on almost every media outlet. Obviously, in social media, um, people are losing their jobs because uh, they fly the wrong flag. And that's simply not consistent with American values. So we'll be talking about um, and then finally, the most important thing, Buck, you can understand this. Um, because you spend a lot of time talking about these things. The new embrace of socialism by one of our two major parties has basically meant our Bill of Rights um, has a stopwatch on its life, um, or at least a, a clock on its life. They don't believe in these bill, in the Bill of Rights. If you walk through each one, they clearly don't believe in the First Amendment because they think that it's fine to have illegal votes, and they think it's fine to cancel people's political speech. So the First Amendment, and, and we all know about religious freedom, uh, that's, you know, that's been under attack for a decade now. They don't believe in the Second Amendment. Obviously, Joe Biden ran on gun confiscation, saying that you're not kind of up to your gun rights, so we'll just take your guns away from you. And if you walk through all of these amendments, um, they basically don't believe in the amendment. Now, they believe in a free press, uh, supposedly, even though that free press doesn't seem to want to take our side into account, which doesn't make it free at all, which makes it propaganda. But I guess you could try to find a way to get that into the latter part of the First Amendment. But so here or there... They don't have disagreements, but 90 percent, they don't agree with the Bill of Rights. That to me is a very dangerous thing in our, our country that we've never been here before. where We had one of our two major parties literally rejecting the underpinnings of the Constitution. They used to use euphemisms. They'd say, oh, it's a living, breathing document. We cherish this document. You know, we just want to see some changes to it. Now that they, they don't support any amendments, isn't that ironic? Liberals don't support any amendments to the Constitution. We do as conservatives. Because we know that's how you're supposed to change the Constitution. That's the way our founders, that, that was the process they left in the Constitution because they knew one day we'd make slavery illegal. They kept that in there on purpose. Women got economic rights. They got the vote. This is how that was done. But they don't believe in, in amendments because they just go to the court or they go to a regulator. And by fiat, they just change the world. Matt, where can people go if they, if they want to uh, either partake in person or online to uh, join us at CPAC in a few weeks? You're a better pitch man than I am. Uh, yeah, go to conservative.org. There's a few tickets left. We will sell out. Uh, we're making announcements every day, and we'd love to have you down there. Match lap of the American Conservative Union. Matt, always appreciate it. See you down in sunny Florida. Thank you, Buck. Thanks for coming to CPAC.